Hello, folks. This episode is sponsored by Spoken, which is a very convenient way to learn English with messaging apps like Line, WeChat, WhatsApp, Viber, and Facebook Messenger. Basically, with Spoken, you get an English coach in your pocket. You can have private lessons with trained native speaking instructors uh, with expertly crafted English learning content designed to meet your needs. Uh, you can do tasks, have lessons on your phone whenever you want, and it's not just a robotic app like Duolingo. There's a real person on the other side responding to you and your specific needs. And you can do your lessons on your phone in your messaging app. So that's when you're on the bus or when you're in bed or when you're just, you know, you've got some spare time at work or something. You can chat with your instructor, do the tasks they send and get some English into your daily life. Sign up with Spoken for a free 60-minute one-to-one private lesson with a trained native speaking instructor and a free assessment of your current English skills. The hour free lesson is via a very intensive messaging-based lesson. The vast majority of messages exchanged are voice messages, and an average hour lesson typically contains about 300 exchanges between learner and coach. The free lesson is essentially a no-strings-attached free trial. After the lesson, learners can decide to continue via a plan or not, and the, the plans are very affordable. Uh, Luke's English podcast listeners receive 20% off for their first month of their plan, regardless of which plan they sign up for. To qualify for all of this and for more information, you need to use my URL, which is getspoken.com slash LEP, getspoken.com slash LEP, or click a Spoken logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Hope you're doing all right. Here's a new episode of the Rick Thompson Report. Long-term listeners will be familiar with this type of episode. This is where I talk to my dad about the news, which is almost always about Brexit. We've been doing these uh, episodes ever since the Brexit referendum happened, tracking the UK government as they attempt to extract the country from the EU. We've heard all about the Leave campaign and their claims, the impossible job of negotiating a deal with an entity that you're also leaving, which is kind of like marrying someone that you're also divorcing at the same time. The last time I did a Rick Thompson report on the podcast was in December last year, and uh, we talked about the state of the UK's negotiation with the EU, with the shaky Prime Minister Theresa May attempting to put together a new deal which could somehow keep things as good as possible while also letting us leave the European Union. Both my dad and I are quite perplexed by the desperate need to leave the EU when it looks like just cutting off your nose to spite your face. Sometimes I hear from people or read things on social media that suggest that they think that the UK as a whole wants to leave the EU. I might read comments about how Britain wants to leave or Britain doesn't want to be in the EU. And I feel a bit annoyed because there are plenty of British people who think that Brexit is a bad idea. I'm one of those people. And so is my dad. We make no bones about that. But this episode isn't done for some ideological reason or because we've picked sides or something. It's because it just doesn't really make practical sense to close access to our biggest marketplace and a zone which also includes all sorts of environmental, scientific and security communities that we will also be leaving. 
Also, the real prospect of leaving the EU with no deal could be catastrophic in many ways. And even the UK government is issuing advice about stockpiling food and other measures in the event of a no-deal Brexit. The deadline is approaching fast and the UK still hasn't found an agreement with the EU. What will happen next March when we leave officially? And how will this affect life in the UK? Listen on to find out in this episode of the Rick Thompson Report. I do invite your comments, of course. So if you feel like you have something to say, please leave your comment in the comment section on the website. I'm very curious to know what the rest of the world is thinking. But now, without any further ado, let's talk to my dad about the latest Brexit news. This is the Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. Hello, Dad. Welcome back onto the podcast for another Rick Thompson Report. How are you? Hello, Luke. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Now, we, we talk about Brexit in these episodes, um, and it's been a while since the last time we did this. It's nearly 50 episodes ago that we were last talking about this subject, which um, is quite a long time. It's about six months. No, more. Gosh, is it that long? No, it's more. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it was December last year, actually. So it's been wow. quite a long time. Why have we not talked about this? Well, <laughs> I don't know, but probably A, because a lot of your listeners will find it just tedious. Um, mm. And but B, because um, so little has actually happened in the last eight or nine months uh, to change the situation. It's still extremely confused. Right. And also, it's, to be fair, not the most fun and enjoyable topic for us to talk about. Is no, it? there aren't too many laughs in it. Um, not too many jokes. Um, the, the satirical magazine this week had a nice cover uh, reflecting the story of the woman who was lost at sea for... Um, 10 hours. Did you read that story? No. She, she jumped or fell off the back of a cruise liner off Croatia mm-hmm. and um, survived for 10 hours in the water and was picked up by the Coast Guard, uh, which made a lot of publicity. Uh, you know, how did she manage it? Yeah. And um, so the satirical magazine's cover has a picture of Theresa May um, and it says, Woman Lost and All at Sea. <laughs> <laughs> so the the uh, the fact is, of course, that Theresa May is still there as Prime Minister, despite predictions that she couldn't survive the divisions in her her own party, the Conservative Party, um, and she may well continue on until we get to the Brexit moment itself. Um, so, do you remember where we were the last time we talked about this, Dad? Yes, it was the the end of the first phase of the negotiations with the EU, where they had to uh, they'd insisted that we settle the financial settlement mm-hmm. because we'd made commitments to EU programs um, which we would have to honour, and that was agreed. Um, there were one or two other things I can't remember that they they said that had to be agreed. I think status of citizens, uh, EU citizens in living in the in the UK. Mm. And once there'd been a general agreement on that, then they agreed to move on to the future relationship. You know, what, uh, if you like, trade relationship yeah. uh, and other relationships the UK would have after it had left the EU. So this was hailed as um, by the Brexiteers as, mm. you know, a, a good move and now we're moving on to the trade areas. But actually, um, it didn't mean that much. Uh, the The... The negotiations have gone badly, have not got very far. 
the big issues are still unresolved and the uh, ruling Conservative Party here has got more and more divided um, over what kind of end game we want. Um, so, yes, it, it's difficult to, to, to say that there's been a lot of progress. The progress has been kind of up and down with, with the political, um, stuff going on here. Uh, the Brexit secretary, who was called David Davis, who was leading the negotiations on mm. behalf of the government, actually resigned, um, not long ago. Why? Uh, good question. He basically wouldn't support the, the the compromise plan that Theresa May had got the the government to agree, the cabinet to agree at a two day meeting in her country house at Chequers. What and was the Chequers plan? Um, didn't suit David Davis, why, so he said, "I don't agree with it." Why not? What was it about the Chequers? You described it as a compromise plan. A compromise, as far as the British government is concerned, mm-hmm. you know, uh, she's got around her table people who just want to walk away from the EU and say, "Well, to hell with you, we're just going to leave." Yeah, and others who say the implications of doing that, according to the analysis and according to experts who should know what they're talking about, is that that would be a disaster. And so we have to. So the compromise deal was basically to have you know, a transition period Mm. uh, and also that there would be some kind of alignment with the single market, even though we weren't technically in it. So it's, uh, it was, as they say, too soft an approach for David Davis, who was a tough Brexiteer and some of the others. So the government is divided between people who believe in soft Brexit and people who believe in hard Brexit. Is that right? That's right. Um, Are there any left who still think we should remain? Uh, yes, I think there probably are. Uh, I mean, obviously, the government position is we're leaving and they can't, you can't reverse the referendum result and mm. we're just going to, you know, get a good deal. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, the man who holds all the money, he's called Philip Hammond, mm. is pretty clearly um, of the view that it's going to be bad news for us, whatever happens. And um, this week he he issued his own warning uh, after financial analysis by uh, the people who work in his department in the Treasury, mm-hmm. um, predicting that if we uh, if we don't uh, get some kind of single market deal, then it could lead to us having to borrow lots more money. Uh, he said up to eighty billion a year, wow. eighty billion pounds, eighty thousand million pounds per year was the, an estimate. Um, you know, rising over the next, say, 15 years. And so, um, and, it, and there's also, you know, warnings about, you know, the impact on various sectors of the economy. So I don't think the Chancellor thinks that leaving the EU is a particularly good idea, but he's going along with it, but issuing warnings, which the, uh, the Brexiteers say is project fear, nonsense, right. you know, all nonsense. This is what the Brexiteers say whenever anyone says anything like negative, any, any negative projections about leaving the EU, either with a deal or without one. If there are any negative things, then they're just labelled as being project fear. Yes, and the and the nationalist press here, the newspapers, which uh, are overwhelmingly the popular papers are uh, in favour of Brexit and have been for years. They've you know managed to get to the point where they really dislike the EU and they think we should you know get out get out of it. Mm-hmm. They uh, they are leading all this stuff. Um, so when the Chancellor warns of financial uh, cost of leaving, they call him Eeyore. 
Eeyore is a character from the Christopher Robin Pooh Bear stories. Yeah, the Winnie the Pooh. He's the donkey uh, who is always miserable mm. and always negative and always pessimistic and depressed. Right. So, th- so this is the, what the press do. If, if Hammond says there's analysis showing it's going to be bad news, they simply call him Eeyore. Right. Yeah. Great. We've 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 heard about the press before, particularly the right wing press. They have an agenda which is uh, very obvious, and it's um, very eurosceptic. And they've they've been reporting on the European Union for years with this kind of negative um, bias. Um, I mean, we always end up talking about why they are interested in doing that. Um, I've read various sort of slightly disturbing things about how the people who actually control these papers, um, many in many cases, they don't even register their companies in the uk they're registered abroad in sort of tax uh, havens and uh, their interests in brexit and things like that are not really about you know the people the ordinary working people in the uk it's more about sort of uh, complicated financial investments and offshore hedge funds and uh, and all that kind of thing it's it's very um, insidious yes yes it is it, it, it's um it's difficult for me to say why um, some of these uh, influential press barons are so hostile to the EU. It may partly be because they think leaving it would make them richer. Mm. Um, But I think it's also the fact that they are of a very right-wing market economy persuasion Mm. and they don't like regulation of any kind. Um, and, of course, the EU's regulation is all about protecting citizens from people like them. Right. Um, so, I mean, the, the EU has a, a very good record, in my view, of passing legislation which is protecting citizens from excessive um, unfair practices by big business and protecting them uh, from governments that may uh, act in an undemocratic or... Uh, well, technically illegal way, and so when you when you look at the EU, you have to say actually it is five hundred million people who are protected by um, a code of conduct where everybody has to sign up to it, and some of the nationalists in this country and of course in the other countries like Italy, where there's strong nationalist feeling, they they just resent the fact that uh, they can't do whatever they want. Um, without having to uh, be ruled by EU law, which they cast as foreign interference, though, of course, it's nothing of the kind. It's an international court com- uh, composed of senior lawyers <laughs> from all the member states. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so nationalist feeling is behind all this. Uh, we just wave the flag. Uh, we don't need the EU. Going back to the story then, Dad, so... We, um uh, there was the what was it called the checkers deal that was um, this kind of compromise deal knocked up by Theresa May and her her cabinet her government. Then has it be, it's been presented to the EU uh, the cabinet deal? What's what's going on with that then? Yeah, what, what was uh, their response? If, uh, well, b- before we get to that, we could say that th- there was someone else who couldn't stand the cabinet uh, checkers deal. Yes, uh, and that person was Boris Johnson a colourful uh, character who uh, has, was the foreign secretary. But he, uh, he either got sacked or walked out, can't be sure which, mm. um, because he didn't like it either. So um, we, we have a, a fragmented government falling apart at the seams in many ways. So there's a new foreign secretary. There is a new Brexit secretary, a guy called Dominic Rabb, mm. who wasn't very well known beforehand. And um, he's now continuing on the negotiations. So he, he 
puts the Chequers plan to Michel Barnier, who is the European Commission's chief negotiator on behalf of all the member states. And, um, well, we're waiting to see what they think. Uh, I mean, th- there are various voices from different member states, some s- rather supportive and some contemptuous uh, about the idea that you can have your cake and eat it, mm-hmm. uh, a commonly used phrase, which means that we don't want to be in the EU, but we want all the benefits. Yes, it's the same old story there, isn't it? Mm. So the, the people campaigning to leave, what is it that they actually want then? Uh, now I that wish we, I knew, really. Now, well, now that we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of, you know, hammering out a deal, potentially, um, and the, the hard Brexiteers are unhappy with the compromise deal and all that stuff, what is it that the leavers really want? And uh, will they get it from the various potential Brexits that we have ahead of us? Uh, you're asking me a question I can't really <laughs> answer. Um, let's take an example. One of the leading figures in Theresa May's cabinet, who is a, a Brexiteer, mm-hmm. I must admit I don't like that word very much. I, I prefer Brexiter. Right. Brexiteer sounds like a romantic musketeer. But anyway, <laughs> um, the, the one of the leading Brexiters is called Liam Fox, and he is the International Trade Secretary um, put in that position by Theresa May because he's always advocated the fact that we'll do terrific trade deals with the United States and with other countries once uh, we leave the EU because the rules are this, that the single market um, and, you know, the the uh, associated uh, customs union um, mean that we work as a block. The EU trades as a block and it does trade deals with the other, other parts of the world as a unit. Mm-hmm. And um, it means that you, you don't do a separate trade deal. So, you know, France can't go off and do a different trade deal with uh, Brazil because the EU is busy doing a trade deal with Brazil, which will work for all the member states. Obviously, it would work for all the member states. If you agree, for example, that we're going to have no tariffs on Brazilian bananas, you can't have um, you know, one of the member states being different. Mm. So, so the argument from Liam Fox, the International Trade Secretary, is, well, if we fall out of the EU and retire to what's called World Trade Organization rules, these are the WTO yes. uh, has you know, established international tariffs. Uh, on goods he says that's not a problem other countries work on wto rules we would immediately strike fantastic trade deals with other countries mm-hmm. uh, everybody's you know worrying far too much so that's that's their position they think the eu holds us back from doing trade freely with right. the rest of the world right okay i don't agree and and i don't think all the analysis we've seen so far backs that up so you don't, you uh, to, don't... Do, to do a trade deal with the United States would take years. And um, uh, and the fact is that since we voted to leave the EU, Donald Trump has been installed as the president, and he is a protectionist at America first. Uh, he's already, you know, imposed trade sanctions on China and one thing or another. Uh, the worst possible um, atmosphere in which to go wanting a nice trade deal because he's only interested in keeping out imports that will will affect American jobs. I'm quite sure that the trade uh, deal that we had with the EU was far sweeter than the trade deal that we could strike up with the WTO. I know that it's much more expensive to trade with um, to trade based on WTO standards 
that there are tariffs, there are you know taxes and things like that, and the the free trade deal within the EU is is amazing, and it's really yes, unprecedented. I, I, mean, I, I think it is, and and um, it is unprecedented, and it is the biggest market, single market in the world, not just by numbers of people, but by value of goods. It's the UK's biggest market as well, by far. Yes, it is. We buy and sell more from the EU than from any other market. Yes, we do. Um, So, you know, for me, who is appalled by the idea of us leaving the EU under any circumstances, but particularly without some kind of decent uh, agreement... Mm -hmm. Um, I find it baffling, and, and the 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 evidence is piling up. Uh, let us say this week. Um, well, it was actually the twenty third of August. Uh, the government the, here in the UK published an, a number of advice papers mm-hmm. on different aspects of what might happen if we had no deal at all. Right. And it includes some fairly scary things. They're talking about they would stockpile medicines to make sure we had six weeks of supply. Yeah, thanks a lot. Right. And, and, and wait a minute. Stockpiling medicine, just to be clear, means uh, collecting lots and lots of medicine so that if we weren't able to get it anymore, we'd have a supply. It's the sort of thing that you would do in the event of a zombie outbreak or, 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 or <laughs> yes, some, some other probably. similar situation. You would stockpile medicine. You'd stockpile food and other resources. And this is this is um, in the government's advice paper, which is yes. basically, oh, by the way, it looks like we might not get the deal that we have been looking for because, frankly, it's impossible to please every single person. You know, all the, the, the rainbow of different uh, wishes that all of the leavers want, first of all. It's impossible to actually achieve that. And anyway, we wouldn't be able to negotiate for it with the EU in any case because we're in absolutely no position to, you know, strike a hard bargain. So we're just going to have to get some... Uh, awful compromise that will make no one happy and that will be far worse than what we had before or we just leave with absolutely nothing at all right you're you're in danger of ranting like i do (laughs) (laughs) well Um, it's impossible not to talk about this without starting to rant so you get so excellent there are there are a lot so many ironies ironies is probably a difficult word I, Mm. i i mean trying to uh work out what irony actually means has always been it difficult. It can mean a few things. Let's call it contradictions. There's a lot of okay. contradictions All right. here. Uh, that, for example, one of the reasons that we think a lot of people voted to leave the EU was because of the immigration scare going on at the time. Okay. That uh, we had far too many people coming into Britain. It was an attractive place to come to. And free movement of people is an essential part of being in the single market. Yeah. So EU member people come here, you know, as freely as they like, flash the passport and you come, you can get a job, you can buy a house. Basically, you know, the, the whole of the EU is like that. Yeah. Um, and um, there were these arguments that saying, well, you know, we've lost control of our borders because we can't control these people coming in from the EU. And mm-hmm. they were pointing the finger at the less affluent states like Romania and Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, we, we had a lot of Polish people coming in uh, when they when they joined the uh, EU as uh-huh. well. Yeah. Um, the, the the irony, or if you like, the contradiction, is that now the government is is conceding quite openly 
that we need a lot of EU workers to keep keep the country going. Yeah. Take the health service, for example. We have lots of European doctors, nurses and care workers mm -hmm. working in this country. And uh, the idea that they are, they're going to stop coming would be catastrophic. And the association of nurses and the doctors associations are all saying we must be able to recruit people to get people uh, to come and keep our health services going mm -hmm. not to mention a, a lot of other things yes uh, you know the fruit pickers are extremely worried because they're seasonal workers who a lot of them come from romania they come in and pick all our fruit and they say well if they don't come the fruit will rot in the fields so suddenly the government is starting to say oh well of course that, that we would make sure that people we needed uh, would would be able to come in well what does that mean <laughs> do you, you do you invent some kind of score system uh, to allow some people in and some people not so the, there's a contradiction here that the you know the immigration thing has turned on its head and everybody's suddenly realizing that we actually need immigration and remember that our unemployment rate here in the uk is extremely low uh, the lowest it's been for years it's not like you know people are coming in and taking our jobs um there are lots of jobs to be taken one of the positions that was always said was was that we're taking back control but i mean there's an example of how actually the opposite may well be true that it will you know throw everything into chaos i read an interesting article about uh, food in the event of a no deal brexit which is basically where suddenly all of our agreements all come to an end the treaties all stop and that includes things like the way in which uh, food is brought into the country and taken out of the country. Most of the food that we buy and that we eat comes from the EU. That, Just like most other things, it's our biggest market. And we get lots and lots of food from there. We also sell food into the EU. Now, if um, we don't have a deal, a sort of a customs deal, on, uh, what is it, March the 29th? Yes, next yeah. year. Uh, then, just about seven and a bit months away. Then suddenly, the when the UK leaves the EU, there'll be all these huge barriers and costs at the border. So, for example, if you're a van driver who drives stuff into Europe or back, uh, normally what you do in in this situation now with the you know as we're in the EU, you, it's kind of a frictionless uh, border. You just go through, maybe quickly sign a paper or stamp something, and just go through the border, and off you go, and you continue delivering. And this is how you know our supermarkets get all the food that they need, all the tomatoes and fruit and stuff that's fresh and on the shelves every day. It's because of this system of just in time which is a, a sort of logistics you know solution to you know always having fresh products on your shelves yes you it can't means, store it for a long time it has yeah. to come in and immediately go on the shelves. we've got this system just in time which is incredibly efficient and it means that you don't have to have large storage areas where you're keeping all of the products they, it just moves seamlessly from the shelves you know into the consumers pockets and then it's replaced with the with this constant flow of new uh, stuff that's coming in and not being stored anywhere we don't have storage facilities anymore because the whole uh, distribution system is so slick uh, and that really depends on on the frictionless border but if uh, well when we come out we don't have a deal every single van or truck will have to be checked um well will it well well well, well, that, well, that's, well in that's theory yes in, but you know the, the trucks will have to get different types of um, form that will need to be completed the checking will be a lot more stringent and it won't be possible to just go through the border anymore you'll have to wait you'll have to park in several different places one of them being in london where you need to pick up various papers and it takes hours and hours and hours and that's for every single 
uh, vehicle going through. So if you can imagine the queuing, the the the, the queues and the the jams that will happen at the uh, at the borders, and the and you know people are talking about uh, stockpiling food, and people are talking about the idea that uh, we might see that suddenly the the supermarket shelves are bare because they they can't get the food in on time, and so well, that brings the, well that brings the... us to what you're saying, which is that will they actually check them? And the only solution to prevent this kind of gridlock would be for the UK government to basically say, well, okay, we'll just accept that if the stuff is coming out of the European Union and they've checked it on their end, we'll just assume that it's okay and we won't impose all of our checks. We'll just assume that basically it's all safe and we'll bring it all in without checking it. That's the only way to keep the things moving. That is exactly what they're saying, that, oh, well, you know, we couldn't possibly have a situation where, you know, uh, you know, the food wasn't coming in, so they'll just so they would wave it through. They'll just wave it through. But so, then, is this taking back control? Yeah, is this taking back control? No, because suddenly you're just waving through some stuff that you haven't even checked. It'll make us uh, extremely susceptible to fraudsters who can just send us any old crap, and we're not checking it. So, you know, it's that's dangerous. I mean, that's a public health issue. If you're suddenly just waving through food, which is going to go, you know, into consumers' uh, kitchens and you're not even checking it for safety that's that's hugely negligent and dangerous uh, a thing to do not to mention Uh, all of the stuff that we export to europe which will also be blocked Ah, well that's the other thing see see what i was saying luke is that um at the moment uh we get loads and loads of trucks and containers coming into docks like felixstowe every day full of stuff from the eu whether it's food or whether it be car parts or whether it be medicines or whatever it might be and um it obviously if if this was held up and people had to uh, fill in forms as you say everything would come shuddering to a halt so i think that that the Brexiteers will say, well, EU goods are coming in at the moment, and why should anything change? EU goods come in, we don't have to, uh, you know, worry about them. Though, of course, there is the idea that we would have to collect duty on certain things on behalf of the EU, which would be ironic. Uh-huh. No, it's the other way around is the, is the, is the concern as well, mm-hmm. that um, the EU, which is, a, you know, a, a block imagine it as kind of being a unit where uh, once you're inside you're inside but uh, the the idea that we become what's called a third country yeah means that we would have to adhere to certain checks from things coming from outside the eu into the eu and there are tariffs on these things depending on what it is and where yeah. you're coming from yeah so suddenly our exporters are the people facing with um being being uh, unable to export things and some of it is is perishable goods mm. i mean we we export fruit and veg as well so the answer is i don't know what on earth will happen yeah the government's position is we are confident that we will get an arrangement that is suitable and all we're doing is having a contingency plan in case things go badly wrong. And we are looking at all the different areas and issuing advice about things. Well, it's not very useful advice at the moment. And we wait and see how the next few months go. So w- what happens next? Well, I mean, we again, um, another European summit coming up, uh, October the 18th. It is supposed to be a bit of a crunch where either the member states and the summit is all the member states getting together 
either the member states indicate that they'll go with the the outline of of Theresa May's checkers agreement, which means aligning ourselves with their customs union, having similar rules and one thing or another, and having a transition period, which would take us up to um, the start of 2021. I mean, it's less than two-year transition period. If they say, okay, 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 then maybe, um, you know, the negotiations will start to um, take shape. But the, there are several hurdles to get through. First of all is that one. Mm-hmm. And there's always the chance they'll say, no, we, 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 you know, you, we can't see the detail here. It's not clear enough. And they'll wait till the next summit in December, just getting mm. perilously close to Brexit Day. Mm. Another hurdle is that the House of Commons, Westminster House of Commons, has got to agree the plan. Okay. And they are deeply divided. Mm. Uh, another hurdle is that the European Parliament has to endorse any decisions by the member states and the European Parliament might uh, cause a problem and then there are outstanding issues that no one seems to be solving particularly the Irish border the border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland and it still isn't resolved and Ireland is a key member state and if Ireland doesn't think there's a satisfactory solution Mm. uh, to having free movement across the border um, then they may block the whole thing so it's a package deal. You, you, one thing can scupper the whole deal. Right. It's almost impossible to, to get a situation where everyone will be happy and everything will be it's, all right. It's looking pretty bad. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I don't want the listeners to think we're, you know, making it a doomsday scenario. Mm. Um, but it is concerning. It's very concerning uh, that it is such a chaotic mess, uh, mainly because the government can't agree within itself about what the perfect end result should be so we're we're all kind of um pulling our hair out and kicking the furniture over the idea of this zombie apocalypse no deal brexit situation where suddenly there are no food there's no food on the table and we come crashing out of security alliances with the eu and you know far from taking back control we find ourselves sitting in a burning building uh, we're we're kind of uh, scared and uh, alarmed by this prospect, but yeah, are we being alarmist? I mean, really, honestly, do you think? What do you imagine is going to happen? I know that you'll say that you don't know, but do you really think that we that we could crash out and that everything could fall to pieces? Do you do you really uh, think that's possible, or is I will think there... it is possible? Yes, I do think it's possible. Um, I think that we can see Brexit Day coming with absolutely no deal, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, huge queues of lorries uh, approaching Dover um, when they can't they can't get across because new border checks have been imposed. I can see um, shortages of certain things. Yeah. Um, I, I you know uh, I I think that there would be political ramifications too. Um, I, I think there would be a certain amount of unrest if uh, if parts of the country found that they you know were were being seriously disadvantaged prices going up the pound the value of the pound falling the pound mm. they're still falling at the moment because there's so much uncertainty uh, it's getting very very close to being the same value as a euro I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just it's not far off yeah and um there are all sorts of reasons why um i think that uh, it could be um, a mess 
Um, we will hope that the other member states, let's take Germany, for example, mm-hmm. doesn't want to damage its own position. It wants to export Mercedes to the UK. It wants to deal with us. Yeah. Uh, and so w- the hope is that the member states will make it uh, a transition period which will be acceptable to just about everybody, I think. Yes. And that's on March next year will be the start of transition period where they try and unscramble the the mess. It's basically an extension, isn't it? The transition period? It's basically an extension, yes, except uh, here's another contradiction. We would still be following their rules, but we wouldn't be um, at the table. Right, okay. (laughs) I mean, there is, is, um, you know, they talk about the Norway model. Your listeners probably get completely confused by the distinctions between the single market and the Custom. European uh, Customs Union and the um, EEA, the European Economic Area. Mm-hmm. The European Economic Area is basically the area embracing the single market, and it has a few states that are not in the EU, mm-hmm. Norway being the biggest, got Iceland, Liechtenstein. And um, some people in the UK say, well, why don't we adopt the Norway model? Um, but the Brexiteers absolutely wouldn't have that. For, for this reason, that they say we'd be, still be under the rules of the Commission. We wouldn't even have a say in making the rules. And that's the problem that Norway has got. Norway has a, a quite a strong political um, faction that thinks that they should, be, they should be in the EU and not be governed by it without being represented. But sort of for Norway, it's different because they're basically okay because they have so much natural gas and oil. So yes, it's, it sort of doesn't right. really matter that much for them because they're, they're a relatively small country. I mean, yeah. how many citizens in Norway? Is it five million? I might be wrong. I mean, we've got 67 million and our, our uh, economy is bound up um, with many of the European member states uh, in a way that Norway's isn't really. And the, the, uh, the, the difficulties facing the UK, uh, its financial centre, uh, its fact that it's a nuclear power, uh, there's all sorts of things that make it particularly difficult to unscramble your relationship with the EU. And I expect the ones who will suffer the most will be the ones who probably voted for Brexit in the first place. Right. Well, it, that's another contradiction. The uh, analysis rather suggests that the poorer areas of the country um, are the ones that are most likely to be worst affected if if we have an economic crash. And remember that uh, London voted to remain. Yeah. Um, and Scotland voted to remain. Yeah. Um, and the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, when she saw these advice notes and these preparations for a, a no-deal Brexit, said this is an absolute disaster zone. So, yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's unbelievable that the government are, you know, posting these advice uh, uh, documents saying, oh, yes, by the way, it might be a good idea to start stockpiling food and medicine well, not and to get, me- you know, not to activate that. the they- army. They, they they think it's going to be reassuring everybody that uh, they are prepared for any scenario. Hmm. Yes, they have mentioned um, having the army on standby to make sure essential supplies get through. Uh, I don't know whether that's the army's job, but the the um, uh, they, they're supposed to be reassuring that they are preparing. 
And also, as I said earlier, it's supposed to be um, a negotiating ploy. It says we're ready to walk away from the table if you, the EU, oh, don't make some compromises. Okay, okay. I mean, it is. I mean, your listeners will probably think, oh, you know, Brexit again, Brexit, Brexit. Why don't they just get on with it? Well, uh, yes, but it's quite interesting in that never before has a country left the European Union. It's unprecedented. We're, we're the, the first. Set. We're the first. We are the first. Hey. Um, and um, it's quite interesting to see how uh, a, an alliance of democratic nations formed over many years, um, how you can remove yourself uh, without it being very, very damaging to you. Um, so, you know, an academic exercise, this is an unprecedented one. Yeah, that's the only good thing you can say about it, right? It's like, well, first time. No one else has done it. There we are, yeah. leaders again in some weird way. Um, yes, I know. And, and of course, there are Eurosceptic movements in other EU member states, some of them quite strong. Um, and um, one of the pressures on the EU negotiator, Michel Barnier, will be, actually, we, we can't make it too easy for the UK yeah. to leave. yeah. Yeah, you, you, we want we want everybody to see that leaving the EU is a really bad idea. So yeah. they can't give us too much. They'll make an example of us, won't they? Maybe the Eurosceptic press will say we are being punished, punished by the EU. Well, we're the ones leaving. Oh dear. So there you go, listeners. It's still well, isn't um, it fun? T- it's still a complete <laughs> mess. Do you want to talk about something else? Uh, I don't know what else is there to talk about. The football season's beginning again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, oh, great. Yes, Premiership. Yeah, we love that. Have they played any games yet? Yes, they've played a few games. What's going on um, then? Uh, the, the usual suspects are looking good. It's all about Manchester City. Can anybody beat Manchester City, mm-hmm. who won the Premier League last year uh, by by a mile? Um, and I'm a Liverpool supporter, and, and Liverpool look pretty good. Um, and they, people are saying they may be challenging Man, Man City, but there were the others, Chelsea, Terrific, Manchester United, the usual big city, Tottenham. The usual big teams will probably be the ones up at the top. Arsenal? Though there's always a, a possibility of a surprise in the Premier League. Remember, Leicester City won it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. And we've got some new member, new teams in the Premiership after promotion, and one of them is Wolverhampton Wanderers. Ah. The Wolves, one of the original football league teams with a great glorious history, notably in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and they've been in lower leagues until they're now back. And uh, romantically, you want Wolves to at least stay there and do quite well. They'll probably get smashed, though, won't they? <laughs> uh, well, they might do. But uh, the, the fact is they won the championship to get promoted oh. uh, very well. And um, the, the, the nice thing is that they are a West Midlands team uh, near Birmingham. Wolverhampton is one of those big industrial areas just next to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And it's got a great footballing history, that area. And they haven't had a really good team there for a long time. Aston Villa are still around. Uh, West Bromwich Albion are still around. But they're not in the same kind of class as the Manchester Uniteds of this world. Mm. Uh, so wouldn't it be great if Wolves did well? It would. It would be brilliant. OK, right. Well, I think that's probably um, all we've got time for here, Dad. Um, but uh, I'm sure that my listeners don't uh, – they're not quite as fed up with the subject as you might think. And I've had well, – uh, I hope that the, the listening to the English is probably – useful as well it's, it's some of the the phraseology is kind of political mm-hmm. and some of it's to do with the eu it's a difficult thing to understand 
the EU. A lot of people in this country don't understand it at all. But um, it's useful to remember the difference between the European Commission, which, uh, you know, is in many ways the civil service and administration of the EU, and the council, the summits where the member states get together, mm. and the European Parliament, which has a lot of power to, without the European Parliament agreeing anything, no law can be passed. So the EU has got these three uh, power bases, and it also is all backed up by the European Court of Justice, which uh, makes sure that everyone plays by the rules. Now, it, that's the EU, basically. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people here in this country don't know the difference between the Commission and the Council and everything else. Yeah, they just think they're a bunch of faceless, unelected bureaucrats, don't they? Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, you get letters is- in the newspapers saying, you know, to, telling the negotiators, tell these crooks, unelected crooks in Brussels to go and jump off a cliff. I don't know where they're getting this idea from because, I mean, fair enough, the the civil servants, is that the commission? Commission, yes, it's got more power than a civil service because it proposes legislation, it negotiates it. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's basically... The thing that administers the EU. The Commission is is uh, then they're not elected, right? No, they're not. But the but the president of the Commission, who is uh, currently Jean Claude Juncker, has to be approved by the member states, the heads of you know democratically elected governments. That's the Council, isn't it? The, the yes. heads of state who get it's together. The council. That's the Council. And so they're 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 elected because they're the elected leaders of each uh, member state. So that's Indeed. the council, and then the European Parliament. They are they're elected uh, members directly of, elected directly elected members of Parliament. So I don't know quite where this idea that the whole thing is undemocratic really comes from. It's just another, like a, it's just like a big Parliament, isn't it? Another irony or contradiction is that over here in the UK we have two houses at Westminster. One of them is elected, the House of Commons, and the other one isn't. Yeah, the House of Lords. Yeah, so so who's more democratic? Arguably, our our parliament is less democratic than the European uh, Parliament or the EU. Yeah, I mean, it's Definitely. just it's it's just a load of um, prejudi- prejudices and uh, vested interests um, and fake news and propaganda, uh, which has been drip fed to the British public for years and years and years, and it's all politics. And I feel like a lot of people have been scammed. You know, a lot of people have been duped into believing that the EU is a toxic entity when in fact it's not and that the the reality of coming out of the European Union which um, you know is something that was has been developed over decades and is a is generally a very good system and we've thrived being part of the EU that this is somehow some kind of uh, toxic arrangement and leaving it is just I mean it's just ridiculous well I think it's ridiculous as you know well there's lots of twists and turns to come and people can watch the TV news and, and and see these twists and turns coming up in the next few months. Next month in September, the government is supposed to uh, publish uh, its proposed immigration policy after it's left the EU. Now, that'll be interesting. Um, the summit, as I said, on October the 18th might be a crunch or it might be delayed. You know, decisions may be delayed again. Um, and we're waiting for another raft of advice papers from the government on uh, planning for a no-deal Brexit, which will either reassure everybody or panic everybody. <laughs> okay, well, Dan, thanks for talking to all of us about this again. I'm sure my Okay, it's my pleasure, and uh, uh, it's always great to listen to your podcasts, and I hope um, 
you know, your viewers, listeners, I should say, listeners uh, haven't been too bored by all this course, stuff going not. on in the UK. Of course not. They can leave their comments. Listeners, you can leave your comments in the comments section. We will be glad to, to read them and see what you think. Uh, but, Dad, for now, thanks for talking to us, and we'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. So there you have it. There are my dad's thoughts on Brexit. I certainly hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Rick Thompson Report, keeping you up to date on Britain's tricky situation. As I said earlier, please do leave your thoughts in the comments section. I'm curious to know what the rest of the world is thinking. I wonder how Brexit is reported and generally considered in your country. Is the leading narrative that Brexit is a good or bad thing? And why do you think that is? Do you think Brexit would help or harm your country in some way? Do um, uh, leave your comments in the comments section. Thanks, as ever, for listening, leaving comments and generally being great audience members. Have a great day or morning or afternoon or evening or night. And I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.